is from Luke 10, verses 30 to 37, and it's page 1042 in your church Bible. That's Luke 10, verses 30 to 37, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So an expert in the law has just asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we have this familiar story to help us to think about sharing God's love. And we've been thinking about sharing God's love, how it's Jesus' command to us, how We do it because Jesus and God first loved us and it's out of love that we let that love flow out into the world. We've been thinking about how we share this love without boundaries, even our enemies, Jesus tells us we should love. And now we're thinking about this passage, a well-known story, the story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus tells this story to break people out of their normal patterns of behavior. We sometimes forget just how shocking this story would have been to those that he told it to because the hero of this story is a Samaritan. And in Jesus' time, no Jewish person would ever have told a story in which the Samaritan was a hero. There was such a deep hatred between Jews and Samaritans that there could never be anything good that was in Samaria. This rivalry began hundreds of years before when the two kingdoms were formed after Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam made some bad choices. So the 10 northern tribes of Israel formed their own kingdom with Jeroboam as their king. And then after that, there was division and rivalry between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom suffered from a series of really bad kings 
that led them. And prophets like Elijah came to try and turn the people back to God. But the northern kingdom failed to return to God, so the great Assyrian empire came and invaded the northern kingdoms. God saved the southern kingdom, but the northern kingdoms were conquered, and the Assyrians were brutal in the way that they treated conquered lands. So they would deport all the people who lived there and mix up all the peoples across their whole empire so that there couldn't be any local national resistance to their rule. So pagan idols were introduced to Samaria. There was intermarriage. And the people of Samaria lose their identity. It's dissolved and diluted. But the southern kingdom manages to hold on for another 140 years until it's conquered by Babylon. And the Babylonians have a different policy. They just take the elite, the clever and the intelligent people from anywhere that they conquer back to Babylon. So Daniel and Misha and and all of those were taken back to Babylon. But the ordinary people were left there. So when the exile ends after 70 years, then the uh, people can return and the place is still filled with Jewish customs and traditions. And so it's easy to reinstate that Jewish identity back into the southern kingdom. When after the exile, the people started to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans offered to help. But Nehemiah and his people saw that they weren't fully on board with what God wanted, so they refused their help. And then the Samaritans actively worked against what Nehemiah was doing to rebuild the walls. After that, when the empire of the Greeks that was started by Alexander the Great, when that was failing and Uh, and was weak. It was the Samaritans who went with the Greeks and the Jewish people who fought against the Greeks. When the Romans came, the Samaritans were collaborators with the Romans and the Jewish people resisted in lots of different ways. The Samaritans no longer held the whole of the Old Testament as scripture. They just had the five books of the law. They didn't believe any of the prophets. And then just before this event happens, Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection, the Samaritans have come to the new temple that's just been built in Jerusalem. Samaritans came and they scattered human bones in the temple complex to deliberately create a contamination of that holy place. So you could pick any one of these feuds and that was reason enough for the Jews to hate the Samaritans, for the Samaritans to hate the Jews. They were people, two people, who never, ever, ever got on. No one in a Jewish context was ever going to tell a story where the hero was a Samaritan. And yet that is what Jesus does. There's two other people in this story, aren't there? There's the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite walk on by on the other side. And we have to ask, why do they do that? The first reason is because they're bound by the law. The law says that anyone who serves God should not go near anybody who is dead or they will become unclean. This man is lying beaten up in the gutter. They can't tell from a distance from the other side of the road whether he is dead. If they touch him, they will become unclean. 
They're meant to stay holy. Their job is to stay holy. It's not their job to go and rescue people. That's their first excuse. The second excuse that probably is in their heads is that it's going to be really dangerous to try and help this man. This road going down from Jerusalem to Jericho is a dangerous road. It's isolated. Lots of rocky crags and ravines on either side. Places for ambush. That's why this man's been beaten up. If they stop and try and help him, they're in danger too. Or it may be that they thought it was a ruse. There was a time in New York where there used to be people who would lay down on the sidewalk and pretend to be injured. People would go and help them and then their friends would come and mug them. And perhaps they thought that's what this was, a distraction to draw them into a place of danger. But they were afraid, so they pass as quickly as they can on the other side. And then the third reason that they wouldn't have stopped was because they were just too busy. They were important people. They had jobs to do. They had places to go. They had appointments down in Jericho or perhaps they were returning from being really busy in Jerusalem and they had other things to do. They didn't have time to stop and help someone who probably through his own fault was there beaten up besides the road. There are all these excuses that the Levite and the priest have and their excuses that we have too. But Jesus isn't going to allow us to use those excuses. One of the ways to look at this parable is to see it as a metaphor. And in the early church, there's people called the early church fathers in the first few hundred years of the church. And they saw this story as a metaphor a picture of God's mission in the world. And in this picture, Jerusalem is heaven and Jericho is the world. The man is Adam or each one of us. And the robbers are the evil in the world that inflict suffering and pain on humanity. And then the Samaritan is Jesus who comes into the world down the road and rescues us from evil. And the inn is the church. The Samaritan goes to the church where he's restored and where he recovers. And the Samaritan's promise of return is a sign of Jesus' second coming. It's very clever and when you see it, it's quite convincing. But it doesn't really fit the context of how Jesus is telling this story, does it? It may be interesting, it may be clever. But Jesus tells this story as a story of care and compassion, doesn't he? He tells this story to answer that question, who is my neighbor? What should I do when I see people in need? Jesus says to the lawyer, who is the one who is his neighbor? And the lawyer says, the one who shows mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. Don't be afraid. Don't be bound by all that's holy. Don't be too busy. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. And this is what the early church did in the book of Acts. We see that as they grew and there were very quickly quite a large number of Jewish people in 
Jerusalem. They cared for everyone. They shared their possessions. People sold fields and property to get money to look after the poor. There was a Roman emperor towards uh, uh, the end of the time when Christianity was still persecuted. And he was, uh, he was regretting the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. The Emperor Julian in the fourth century said this, the Christian faith has been especially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that not a single Jew, that would be the people within the Christian faith, not a single Jew is a beggar. And that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Can you hear his outrage at what the Christians were doing? What does it mean for us today? How are we going to share God's love as the Samaritan did? As we look around our world, there are so many who are battered and beaten up by the evil forces of this world, aren't there? We need to see that it's us who need to care. It's not an optional extra. It's not something we leave for the special people to do. It's our job together. And I have to say that I have used each one of these excuses not to help people. I volunteer once a month at Friday Fridge. And quite often these excuses go through my mind as it gets round to the time when I'm uh, in line to go to Friday Fridge. It's not my job. Uh, it is a bit scary. I am too busy. Jesus doesn't want us to use those excuses. We're going to pause for a moment. This is a bit scary. Turn to the person next to you and share which of those excuses is the one that comes up most in your mind. Which is your favorite excuse when you see those excuses? We're going to pause for a moment. Just turn to the person next to you. Which is the one that most gets in the way of you helping out? with the Friday fridge or whatever else it is. Okay, if you want some prayer to help you get over those excuses, at the end of the service, there's our prayer ministry team up in the chancel and they'll be happy to pray with you about getting over those excuses. But Jesus said, go and do likewise. There are already ministries set up here at St. Jude's that you can join in with if you want to do these, uh, if you want to be part of this. And I'm really proud of all that already happens here at St. Jude's. Just this week, last Monday, there was an old lady who fell over in the road down uh, towards Canoe Lake. And someone from our congregation phoned me up, said, what should I do? I said, you've got to care for her. She was 
bleeding, so the person from church took her back to her house and gave her a cup of tea. But then she was still bleeding, so they took her to the walk-in center. The walk-in center said she had to go to QA, so the person took her up to QA. At QA, she had to wait for a scan, so they left her there, and then they went back and collected her, and then uh, they took her a meal in the evening to make sure she was okay. That is literally picking someone up out of the gutter. And that happens here because people here do that. We're already serving those who have very little. This Friday, it's Friday Fridge's 16th birthday. For 16 years, we've been providing hot food and hot drinks and a place for people to come on a Friday evening. And it's the 16th birthday. And if you've never been to Friday Fridge, come on down between 8 and 10 just for uh, five or ten minutes, just see what's happening. Just come and have a cup of tea, perhaps talk to someone uh, who you don't know. It is a little bit scary. I get a little bit scared too, but they're actually really nice people. And uh, once you talk to them, you find out they're just like us. It's amazing. So come down on Friday evening between eight and ten and join in at Friday Fridge. Perhaps get involved with Hope Into Action. We always uh, want more people to pray for Hope Into Action. We have a prayer meeting every so often. See me, talk to Caroline. Uh, the other people who are involved here are Lynn Bolton and Warren uh, is here. And uh, so just come and uh, find out more about that. We do lots here. We provide for the food banks and the pantries locally. And our office has got a list of places where people can go and get food. So if ever you meet someone who's in need of food, just call the office and they'll tell you where, they can, where you can get food. And we also provide space for people to come together, don't we? We provide space for street pastors to go out. We provide space for Alcoholics Anonymous to meet here. We look after the elderly who are alone. We look after the young mums who are isolated. And we've just started our Hope Cafe twice a month on a Saturday morning. We help our global neighbors through our mission partners we send food out to lots of places getting involved in all of this is easy at St. Jude's just come and see me or Adam or any anyone you want, uh, who's in the leadership or send us an email to the office but we also here at St. Jude's have a pathway that people follow that help them to come into the family of God because here remember in the Samaritan story the Samaritan didn't just patch him up and leave him by the road. He took him to a place where he would be made well. And we think the church is a place where people can be made well. So we have a pathway that we want people to come along so that they can come and meet Jesus and find his healing power in their life. So we have events that are link events and then events that enable people to connect with what's going on in church. And then we want people to encounter Jesus at an Alpha course or perhaps at an invitation service, a carol service or an Easter service. And then we want people to grow and we have courses that help people to grow. And then we want people to become full-time disciples, full-time workers for Jesus. So we have, this is probably too small to see, but we have lots of events in lots of different columns. And if you look at the men's, uh, men's ministry, there's the men's curry and then that just welcomes people in, so we link up with people. Then there's the code talks where they connect with a little bit about the Bible. 
The first stage is just to show that God is good and we're okay. The second stage is just to link them up a bit with the Bible. The third encounter is to give them a chance to explore the Christian faith. And then we have courses that we run regularly, Living Free, the Bible course, the prayer course, these services that help people to grow. And then we want people to be in life groups so that their growth can continue and they'll get involved in other things like the conferences that we go to. How do we share God's love in this world? How do we do this? We become the unexpected hero. In the COVID pandemic, our city council realized all that we were doing. They hadn't known half of the ministries that we were involved in. They didn't know how many volunteers we had. At the end of the pandemic, we got invited to a buffet at the Lord Mayor's rooms in the Guild Hall. And uh, Jim came along. Uh, we went to a couple, Jim and I. Um, they suddenly all, they wanted, to, they wanted to thank us for all we'd done. We've got a certificate on the wall in the garden room between the toilet and the kitchen, if you want to go and see it. And uh, they suddenly realized all that we were doing. We'd been doing it for years, but they realized what we were doing. In a way, we were the unexpected heroes. And we go on doing that, not because we expect any recognition, but because it's what Jesus told us to do. Go and do likewise. The pandemic is over, but we know there's lots more challenges on the way, don't we? Things are not going to get better. They're going to get tougher for lots of people in this cost of living crisis. So we need to be here. We need to be involved. We need to be sharing God's love practically so that Jesus is still at work in this world. This is our calling. This is his command to us. This is his challenge to us. Go and do likewise. We're going to stand and sing our final song as we think about that, as we think about all our excuses. It's in Christ alone that this world makes sense. It's in Christ alone that we find our truth, our direction. In Christ alone that we find our strength to go and do the things he challenges us to do. So let's sing this as a response. In Jesus' name, amen.